This morning we'll be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. I don't have a specific Mother's Day sermon planned. I just have a plain old sermon planned because I, I want to help the fathers and the mothers and the people who aren't mothers or fathers. And uh, I do want to say a couple of things to moms first. First, I, I want to thank you for loving your children and not strangling them, drowning them, or doing things to them. Thank you for holding them and for cuddling them and raising them as best you can, rebuking them when they need it. We, we especially thank you for the rebukes when they need it. But I want to say something. Secondly, it might be a little strange. I want to say this to mothers, but I feel like it's appropriate on Mother's Day. I need to say it. Uh, motherhood is not your highest calling. <laughs> it's not. Your highest calling is to pursue Christ with all of your heart. Before you were a mom, you were his. And so remember, in the frenetic, crazy world that we live in, all the expectations we put on people to be mothers or how to be mothers, that your children don't define who you are. You need to remember that, especially when they're little, because when you go out to a restaurant and they embarrass you, remember that it's not a reflection on you. It is because they're little rascal sinners, and everybody who has a kid has one. It's not a reflection on you. Your job is to do what you're doing to teach them to pursue the Lord as you pursue the Lord. So just don't feel that pressure. You're a person separate from your children. You are someone who Christ loves with all of his heart, and that goes for all of us. So remember, motherhood's not the highest calling. Fatherhood's not the highest calling. Pursuit of Christ is the highest calling. We can all do that. And I want to remind moms of that because we live in a crazy world. Christ gives us our meaning, not our titles. All right, there's enough of that. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And interestingly enough, that does tie into our sermon today. Because uh, not only do you not have to be a mom to be received by Christ, but you don't have to do anything. Let's read. Chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Today is another sermon to teach us that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It is not by works, for no one will boast before the throne of God. Every single thing that we have, every progress that we make, everything that happens to us in our life is because of grace through faith. It is not because of works of the law. And it is crucial for us to understand how faith works in our life to produce holiness. Because if we don't, every single one of us will become foolish Galatians. We do it all the time. We may not to the extent that the Galatians did. There may not be people who are teaching us that 
in order to be saved, we have to be circumcised. But we will definitely fall back on comparing ourselves to others, how we act and behave as if that makes us fit and acceptable for God. And it's not. We are fit and acceptable to God by grace through faith. And that's why we live the way we do. The first thing that Paul teaches here is that we've, we've said that salvation is by grace through faith, but we receive the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. Now, that may not be a, my eye-opener to you, but there are churches in this town that don't understand that. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Every Christian ought to understand that we come to Christ with nothing to offer but our own sin. We have no goodness to offer Him. We have not impressed God. Not in the sense that we've done such great work, so now He wants to adopt us as children. There's nothing we can give. We can't clean up our act and come to Christ. You cannot get better and then come to Jesus because if you try that, you will never come to Christ because you will never be good enough to come to Christ in your own works. Never. You will never be able to come to Jesus. In fact, and this is true, we can never come to Jesus without feeling the shame over our own sin. This is what, when, when we are saved, what is revealed to us through the gospel is that Christ is great and we are not. That we are sinners who deserve judgment. And all we have to bring to him is a sinful soul who deserves judgment. And the beauty of God in Christ and his grace is that that is exactly how he accepts us. We can never do a work apart from faith that will please the Lord. So we receive the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. What does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? Some will tell you that the sign of the Holy Spirit is you must speak in tongues. That's how you manifest the work of the Spirit. So how then do you receive tongues? Some would teach that you have to tarry at the altar to get it. They would teach you to just open your mouth and make sounds until you speak uh, tongues. Others might say it's miracles and signs and wonders that are attested. No, it's none of that. You don't have to do anything to receive the Spirit except to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment, you are sealed by the Spirit of God, with the Spirit of God until the day of salvation. You do nothing to earn the Spirit. Nothing. This is beautiful teaching because the Spirit accepts us not because of what we do but because of whose we are. We are Christ's and therefore greatly loved. When the angel of the Lord came to Daniel, he said to him twice, Do not be afraid, man of God, for you are dearly beloved of the Lord. And that's you too. Dearly beloved, he withholds from you no good thing. Nothing good is ever withheld from his children. In this specific instance, Paul is appealing to the Gentile Christians to think about their own conversion experience. Did they get circumcised and then become accepted by God, by Jesus? If Christ accepted them in their uncircumcision, why do they think now, having received the Holy Spirit and all the promises of God through Christ, that they've got to begin to keep the law in order to share in the inheritance of Abraham? No. When Peter went to preach to the Gentiles, remember he had a vision, there was food let down from heaven, there was unclean things, and the Spirit said, get up, kill, and eat. And he said, I'm not doing that. I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord said, what I've called unclean, you will never call. What I've called clean, you will never call unclean, Peter. And after that, he said, hey, look, there's some guys coming. When they come, you go with them wherever they say to go. You've got to preach the gospel to Cornelius' house, the Gentile. Jewish people wouldn't even enter into the home of a Gentile lest they be defiled before this in Peter's day. 
The men come. Peter goes with them. And as he begins to preach the gospel, the Spirit of God falls on the Gentiles. They begin to praise God together. They, begin to, they believe the gospel. And when Peter and the others with him see this, they say, they have been given the gospel. I mean, they have been given the Spirit just as we have. We can't withhold baptism from them, can we? And the answer is no. For through this, God has shown he has accepted the Gentiles by grace through faith, just as he had Israel. Oh, Gentiles, did you have to follow the law to receive the promises in the Spirit? No. God gives it to you freely. For us, there might be a thousand other applications. Not many Judaizers, as far as I know, running around here in the church trying to tell us we've got to keep the law of Moses. But there's a thousand other applications. Did Jesus demand that you should join the church before you could be a child of God? You need to start tithing, quit cussing, quit drinking, be nicer, look respectable. What is it you've got to do? What must I do to be saved? What things must I change for God to love me? How should I be so that I might be accepted in the beloved? The answer is nothing. You don't have to quit cussing. <laughs> you don't have to quit drinking. You can be a scoundrel. The Lord love you. This messes people up. We receive the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. That's how we begin. God doesn't save anybody who's not a scoundrel. Every single one of us are sinners. Like really not worthy of Christ. And he knows where we are when he found us. He knew where we would be before the world began. He loves us still. We receive the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. We are also made holy by grace through faith and not by works. Maybe you might think or others might say to you, Whoa, wait. Shouldn't we behave a certain way when we're Christians? We get cleaned up. We stop our, our coarse jesting, as it says in Ephesians. We stop our sinful attitudes. We rid ourselves of lust. Do you? <laughs> That's amazing. Good job. That's how we have to be to be Christians. I'm glad you asked because we should think about these things. And I want you to understand this, where the power of your faith lies. It's powerful. It is. The size of a mustard seed and you can move mountains. What's the power of your faith? The power of your faith rests in God's love for you. That's, this is the power of God. The power of God is his love for you and your ability to believe that you are loved. This is what changes you, not the law. Listen to me, the law condemns. The love of God sets you free. Here's how it works. You will give up certain things. I wish you could get this. I do. I wish I could get this because I forget it. I'm prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he died for you. He didn't have to do it. He was humiliated. They flogged him. They beat him. They stripped him naked. They hung him on a cross for everybody to see. They gambled for his clothes. How do I know he was naked? Because the only things he had, they gambled for his clothes at the foot of the cross. That means he ain't wearing them. It's embarrassing. It's humiliating. God have mercy. He went through that for me. Exposed for my sin that I might be saved. Christ loves you so much. He, he died for you. He, the Father loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Knowing what he would have to endure so that you might understand the depth 
the width and the height of his love for you. That's why he said to teach you his love for you. The Holy Spirit loves you. He reminds you of these things even this morning. Even this morning he is tearing from you all your props of goodness that you think you have in yourself so that you can find out that you are loved for you, dirty old sinner that you are. He died for you. Christ shows his love for us and that he gave himself for us while we were yet sinners. He's working in you right now at this very moment. God is your salvation. God is your biggest fan. He roots for you day and night. He has nothing but hope for you. He's proud of you like a mother is proud of her child. His love for you knows no bounds. If he's given to you his son, he will give to you all other things. He's given to you his own kingdom. The kingdom of God is yours. Fear not, little flock, for he is greatly pleased. The Father to give to you the kingdom. His kingdom is yours. His son is yours. Heaven is yours. The throne is yours. Everything is yours. He's given it to you. He gave you his name. He gives you his home. He shares his life with you. He loves you. All your stupid sins, all your mistakes, every shortcoming, nothing, nothing you've ever done and will do will give him pause for one moment to reconsider whether or not he ought to love you and shower his favor on you. Never. Never. And that's the power of faith because when you believe it, when you believe all that stuff I just told you, when you believe it, it will destroy you to be loved like that. The old you will perish. The old you who feels like they have to earn their favor, who feels like your life is give and take, you can't understand not meriting that favor. Never, never. Nothing you give back to him will ever change his love for you. Nothing you do will change. It will destroy you and it will recreate you. It will make you a better person. You will be compelled, not because of the works of the law, but because of the love of God. The love of God will compel you to be better, to do better. I want to make the Father proud. You want to make the Father proud, not because of you want to earn His favor, but because you have it, because you already have it. The Father's acceptance does not depend upon my performance. It is only of His free grace and love. And you will, and some people will recoil at this kind of love. It's terrifying. You mean it doesn't matter? Somebody will say, what you do, God will still love you? doesn't matter? Are you saying to me that whatever you do, God will still love you? Rob banks, kill people, terrible stuff. God will still love you? Why, yes, He will. Yes, He will. Then what keeps you from doing whatever you want? Nothing. I do whatever I want all the time. That's the, you do too. You always do what you want. Like I, the old illustration goes, if somebody comes to me and puts a gun up to me and says, give me your wallet, I may not want to give them my wallet, but I want to give them my wallet more than I want to get shot. So I give them my wallet. You always do what you want to do. Won't you do whatever you want? If you say that God will love you no matter what, yes. Then what keeps you from sinning? Well, sometimes I do. What keeps me from stealing and cheating and lying? Sometimes I do. That's why I'm so 
grateful that his love for me and you is not dependent upon my obedience. I don't refrain from stealing because God will disown me. We can't restrain ourselves from stealing because we're afraid that God will disown us. No, he will never do that. His mere disappointment is enough to keep me straight. I never want to disappoint my father. Not because he'll disown me or I'm scared to quit calling me son, but just the frown of his face will be enough for me not to steal. After all, has he not provided and given to me all things that I need? Why would I covet? Why would I steal? Why would I lie? Everything that is in the world and in heaven belongs to me because of him. He will never cast me aside. Nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. For what? For sinners that he loved. Here's something I want you to understand. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't trying to save you. When Jesus died on the cross, he was not trying to save you. He was saving you. He wasn't trying. He was saving. God's full and free favor doesn't lead us to lawlessness. It leads us to holiness. God's love for his children really is enough to save them. His love alone. It is the love of Christ that compels us, not the words of the law. The law is holy and just and good, and it has convicted me of my sins, and I thank God for it. But it is not what makes me holy. What makes me holy is the overarching, never failing, every day, every morning, his mercies being new, love of Christ. And when I sin, when I steal, when I cheat, when I lie, when I lust, he never leaves me. In all my shame, all the shameful things I've ever done, Christ has promised he'll never be ashamed of me. That is the gospel, and that's what changes us. So you must imagine how frustrated and upset Paul must be when he finds out that these poor Gentiles think that now they must be circumcised in order to be loved by the Father. We are... We receive the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. We are made holy by grace through faith. Why in the world would you return to the law? Where you never know if Father will be pleased with you. I never know if I've been good enough because I keep breaking his laws. Perhaps his love and mercy will turn from me because I have not been good enough. I'm not a good enough son. I'm not a good enough daughter. Don't live there. That's not the gospel. It's condemnation. But we do that anyway. We can either do it in the sad way. We think, oh, maybe the Father's never pleased with me. Or we can look to others and say, look, I'm better than because I keep whatever law I think I'm keeping. And even when we do that, he still loves us. He loves the hypocrite. He loves them all. He is so good. We are... Recipients of the Holy Spirit by grace through faith. You did nothing to earn His presence. You could do nothing to earn His presence. Such a thought is blasphemy. You can't earn God. 
We are made holy by grace through faith, and we are blessed with Abraham by grace through faith. You probably think, he says here that Abraham is, uh, verse 8, Scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Now, you probably think of Abraham as a pillar of faith and a great man of God, and you should. He's a man to be admired and emulated and imitated. That's good. He's all of those things sometimes. Sometimes he was not. We only got a few chapters. A man lived to be like 175 years old. There's a lot of his life that got skipped. He did a lot of dumb things, I can guarantee you. A lot of sinful things. Some of them are in the scripture. Here's the deal. Abraham's exactly like you in every single way you can imagine. Sinful, doubtful, prideful, all kinds of things. In fact, if God had not preserved the story of Abraham, you wouldn't even know his name or who he was. You'd never have heard of him. And so my point in telling you all that is you're exactly like Elijah. You're exactly like Abraham. You're a child of Abraham by faith. And by faith, you're on the exact same adventure that he's on or was on. He's finished his race. You read about Abraham, how he got up from Ur of the Chaldeans, walked over to a land he'd never seen, had a child when he was an old man by faith. He and Sarah conceived when they were in their 90s, walked around on a land that was promised to them, never owned a square foot of it until Sarah died and he owned a cave in the back of a field when he died. The whole place promised to him, never saw a foot of it. It's a good story. God tells a good story. What's your story? Let me tell you something. If God were to, by his inspiration, write the life of faith that you have lived, we would all read it and marvel. Because God doesn't tell bad stories. Every single one of you are important and precious to him. Every single one of you are his children. And he has planned for you a life where you are having effect on people like dominoes. You don't even know. You do not know. When God calls you, wherever you were, however you've been, all the things that you have suffered, all the triumphs you've had, all the joy you've had, all the sadness and sorrow, the dumb things you've done, all of this is wrapped up into a package. You could be like Jephthah who said, I swear I'm going to sacrifice. First thing that comes out of my house, it's his daughter. Oh, Lord God, what have I done? Y'all have done stuff like that. Maybe not that bad. Abraham, that's not my wife. That's my sister. You can have her. Was a great reunion, I'm sure, after that. David, man of God, danced before the ark, showed his tail, like literally. Wife gets mad at him. He locks her in a tower the rest of her life. That's pretty harsh. Stole a man's wife, had him murdered, committed adultery. He had some adventures. Peter, who do men say that I am? Some say John, some say Elijah. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You've spoken well, Simon, son of Jonah. For man and flesh has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now I'm going to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. Peter says, you'll never do that. Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, son of the devil, get behind me. <laughs> man, you read in John where he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved... Over and over again, the disciple who Jesus loved didn't even say his name. It's in the imperfect tense. I like to translate it, the disciple whom Jesus kept loving. 
That's what it means. He kept loving him. John, the apostle, who told Jesus one day, after they had preached in a place where they wouldn't receive him, he said, hey, let's call fire down from heaven and burn this place. Jesus said, what? No, we're not doing that. Called them sons of thunder after that. Later on, John and, Jane, John and his brother would pull aside Jesus and say, Hey, look, we're your best buds. Why don't you let me sit on one side on the throne of you and let my brother sit on the other side of the throne with you? And then all the disciples got mad because they were wanting to be the top, the kingpin. And Peter knew good and well he was Jesus' favorite. Everybody thinks they're Jesus' favorite because you all are his favorites. <laughs> These people's lives, I'm telling you, don't get caught up in all the good stuff they did. They did some dumb stuff too, just like you. They were made perfect not because they were great folks, because they kept the word, uh, because they kept the law of God, but because Jesus kept loving them. Peter denied his Lord three times. And three times Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Restore him. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You've done some dumb stuff, Lord. Sinned against heaven and in your sight, no longer worthy to be called your son. What does Jesus say? Put the robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. This child of mine who is lost is found. Who is dead is alive again. That's the gospel. Stop trying to earn it. Just know. God loves you deeply and dearly always. And you'll be holy. You'll change. The things you do will change. When you get love like that, it changes you. You begin to obey not because you fear the consequences, because you look forward to heaven. Smile, that's it. I just want my dad to be proud of me. I just want the father to be glad. Look. These are my children. Look what they've done in my name's sake, for my name's sake, because they love me. That's what he's looking for. That's the power of faith. The power of faith rests not in your ability to keep the rules. The power of faith rests in your ability to keep believing that God loves you. That he sent his son to die for you. That he rose from the dead for you. That even now, this morning, the Son is making intercession for you right now. The Holy Spirit, even right now, is sending you the love of the Father right straight into your heart. So you'll know you're His forever child. There's no take backs. You are deeply loved. Foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who, who would leave such a gospel? Who would leave such a gospel? Only a bunch of sinners. <laughs> that too. That's who would do it. You are blessed with Abraham. You don't know what your story is going to be like when it's all said and done. You don't know all the things that God will do through you, for you. You don't know. You're not dead yet. God will still use you. He is using you. Not because you're just a tool, but because he loves you and wants to rejoice in your life. The life that he's given you forever. Can you believe that? Can you keep believing it? 
show you your father. He loves you. If you don't know him this morning, what are you waiting for? The love of God is yours in Christ. There's no power on earth, no demon in hell who can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Embrace your father. He will put the ring on your finger and the robe on your back. And you will be his. And he will be yours for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your kindness. Lord, I pray this morning you will help us. Just help us to rejoice in being loved by you. Lord, yes, we've sinned. We repent of it. We, we see our sins. And I see them not just as places where I've failed at the law, but places where I've disappointed you. I pray that you will purge me of such thoughts, such things, such deeds, so that you will always rejoice in my works like you did Jesus's. Help us to be like him. Lord, if there is some wayward sheep this morning who does not know you, I pray they will hear the voice of Christ this morning. Call them home. Lord, embrace them with your everlasting love. Show them the beauty of God in Christ. Help them this morning by the power of the Spirit to go from darkness to light. Save your sheep. Father, be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.